0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest episode of the Theater Enthusiast Podcast. As always, hot priest candle is lit. I am drinking out of my hot priest mug. I didn't even show my guests what it looks like. See, the mug says, oh, that's Nita. hot!" Isn't that's that great? Hot. And
1: priestly at the same time?
0: Yeah, priestly <laughs> and non-priestly. Well, that's what the hot priest was. Anyway, welcome, writer, artistic director, sometimes actors. And I have said, please welcome Jack Canfora. Wait, can you hear that?
1: Yeah, uh, I I actually you know a little I, bit I, I, right a little bit yeah I mean I don't have to hold for applause but any applause I get right. I'll take
0: yeah what is like the Lady Gaga song you live for the applause
1: it's true. Yes. That's true yeah that's true
0: it'll cut out on Zoom so if you listen to the podcast you'll hear ah and then it cuts out but as long yeah. as you can hear it
1: believe me I'm used to that so yeah. <laughs> I don't
0: even get applauded you know
1: really?
0: I applaud myself with greatness every day. <laughs>
1: That's that's great. It's like it's like we're doing an affirmation podcast.
0: Oh yeah. It's like, oh, you look in the mirror, you're wonderful. I'm just like, I just know I'm great. It's fine. Anyway, hello. Thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. Of course. So we always start with the very basic, simple question: where are you from?
1: I am from um I was born in um Bayshore, Long Island, New York. And Mm -hmm. I currently live in uh Huntington, New York. So I've moved from the South Shore to the North Shore. And I've had many, many other places in between.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm from Long Island, so I understand. Oh, yeah? Where? Um, I grew up in Wontaw. Okay. Yeah. But I was actually in Old Westbury this weekend. So I was taking like the train to Old Westbury's like, the Huntington line.
1: That's my line.
0: Yeah. But uh, when Mm -hmm. I took the train on Friday, it was the Hicksville line. It was a little different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Long Island Railroad. Don't yeah. get me started.
0: You know what? I feel like that's a different podcast for a I different think it time. Is. I maybe, think it is. maybe you could write a play about that, like Strangers on a Train, but Strangers on yeah. the Long Island Railroad.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, if it was Long Island Railroad, it would be probably called Stranger Than a Train.
0: You know what? I think we just figured out your next production, online production.
1: It writes itself.
0: It really does. I mean... I can just go on, but I won't. Anyway, so what got you interested in the performing arts?
1: Um, Well, I was, um, as a kid, I moved around a lot constantly. And so I was always sort of, um, you know, the kid on the outside. And um, then school plays, you know, starting like in elementary school and middle school and stuff. And that um, was, you know, the first time that I found that I could have a group of friends and get some attention that was positive. And so that was a very, very big part of it for me. It still is actually this the sense of community um, and sort of kindred spirits. That's a very big part of it. It was something, frankly, that I just sort of assumed would sort of fall away from me at a certain point, but mm-hmm. it never did. And I'm thankful for that. Um, And really it's just, you know, kept up after that. And I, uh. I was in college because I'm old. I saw Kenneth Brown as Henry V, and that um, that really made me fall in love with trying to be a Shakespearean actor. And so I studied that, and you know um, that was really what I did. I did when I worked, which wasn't a hell of a lot because I started off as an actor. I was either doing Shakespeare or improv and sketch comedy. It was a weird sort of mm-hmm. dual existence, but I and I, I loved it.
0: Did you ever hear of? Um... The Works of William Shakespeare abridged.
1: Abridged, yes. I saw yeah. that in uh, in when I was studying in London, and I think it was the original production on the West End. It was, needless to say, pretty funny.
0: Yeah. When yeah. I was in high school, um, there was like two separate theater classes, and my class did the Complete History of America abridged, and the oh. other class did uh, Shakespeare abridged.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, I've never seen the Complete History of America abridged. That I'm sure that's yeah. funny too.
0: Yeah, well it was
1: once you look past the genocide and the slavery. But I mean, uh, you I know think that
0: part was left out. I don't remember. No. I mean, high school was a not to age myself, but not recently. Mm-hmm. So when you were graduating high school, did you know you wanted to pursue a career in theater?
1: Not necessarily. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I was um sort of indifferent student in high school. Um, But I fell in love with music um, and uh, particularly rock music. I think at that point, I really wanted to be a songwriter. Mm -hmm. I think I really wanted to be, you know, Elvis Costello or John Lennon when I I grew up. But, you know, like I said, both those jobs were taken. And so I had to find something else to do. And so and I acted a lot in college and loved it and loved every minute of it. But I just never thought that it was something I was going to end up doing i guess because maybe it seemed uh, too sort of out of reach um Mm -hmm. but once i sort of said oh no the studying acting particularly shakespearean acting that's really what's calling to me um then i did
0: sorry to interrupt but where did you go to college uh
1: where didn't i go to college i went to american university and then i left and i went to suny stony brook for a while which all apologies to suny stony brook was sort of like going to college at the Department of Motor Vehicles. And so I got out of there and I graduated from Hofstra.
0: Oh, okay. Another Long Island University. What, what? Exactly. So I know you ended up going to Lambda, correct?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So what brought you, so you graduated from Hofstra. Can I ask with, with what was your major there?
1: Or My you- major was English. and uh my parents who've always been and always were very supportive in any whatever i wanted to do they just wanted me to do something that i was happy about but their one caveat was that we're not going to let you get a degree in theater unless you want a double major you've got to get a a major that um you know the subtext was when you inevitably fail to make a living at it you can have a fallback position
0: doesn't that sound familiar
1: certainly does i think it's Mm -hmm. we've all heard of it but um yeah. So, um, I majored in English and, um, but I also did a lot of theater in college.
0: Yeah. So what you graduated Hofstra and then what happened, what, what was your eventual road to going to London to study acting?
1: Right. Well, I think the summer after I graduated, um, I got into a course taught by a man, uh, who was the former head of RADA It
0: was mm-hmm. a
1: Shakespeare intensive. And, uh, I got into the class and it was in, in the West village and it was like three weeks it was an intensive and I loved it. Um, and he had this wonderful way of, you know, uniquely British way of just putting you down in this, in the nice, most polite way possible. And I remember my first monologue It's sort of when I knew I was in love with this process and it was a Romeo monologue and I just poured my heart and soul into it. It was the banished monologue, from Romeo and Juliet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And afterwards he sat back and said, well, you absolutely felt, very deeply about that. We could see that. And you pulled your heart into it. Of course, I don't care. Uh, you know, he said, your job as an actor is not to feel anything. It's to make us feel something, which is while obviously reductive, it's, it's, it's let me in onto the, oh, the the English do it very differently than we do. <laughs> and so um, and I thought, well, that's interesting. And But I learned so much from him technically uh, that he said, you should come to London and study. And so I did.
0: What was the audition process like for Lambda?
1: Uh, you know what? Honestly, it was perfunctory because he basically said, "Let him in." So mm-hmm. I, I you know, it was very lucky. It was um two monologues um, uh, it could be classical. It didn't have to be Shakespeare. um, and they obviously they wanted a little bit of diversity in your monologue. So um, I think I may have done the banished speech, and I did something from. I remember it was a cliche. I can't even remember what it was, but it was from a Shakespearean comedy. Oh, it was a Benedict speech uh, about where, you know, he, he realizes he's in love. Yeah. So
0: when you were in studying in school, did you, like in London, were you also able to audition and act outside of school or what was that process like?
1: No. Uh, well, first of all, it was technically forbidden. Um, not that that stopped me from doing certain things in my life, but um, I it was pretty intensive. You didn't really have a lot of time. It was, and I also went to uh, a one-year program. So mm-hmm. it was just like an, an intensive. And so including a summer. And so they, I was just personally worked to the bone. You were, you were there like eight hours a day uh, or, or thereabouts. And then, you know, you'd hopefully go to the pub with some friends afterwards and uh, maybe see a show maybe sometimes, but because we've got a lot of, Free and discounted tickets. And but we have to often rehearse outside of the class too. So there's very little time, except maybe sometimes on weekends. But um and also being an American, uh, I think that would have been problematic in terms of um unions and visas, etc. Um, but to be honest, I didn't really even consider it. I was just truly really there to learn as best I could.
0: Yeah. What would you say was your biggest takeaway from that experience?
1: My biggest takeaway from that experience. I think was um, apart from cementing my, you know, lifelong uh, Anglophilia um, was that uh, that it's a marriage between sort of that incredibly technical classical British drama school approach to things with an American sort of an, an, you know, emotional availability and intensity, I, I think is, is very useful. And you know that's why you know my own pet theory about the actors that came to uh, came to prominence in like the '90s and late '80s, like people like Gary Oldman or uh, you know Emma Thompson and and, I'm, and Daniel Day Lewis and I'm forgetting a slew of others. I think part of what amazes many of us uh, is their versatility, and um, that's about technique and craft, right? And in a lot of English drama schools, you know. Uh, they assume that you are going to feel things emotionally and deeply. You know, they—that's a given. That, but that's not an end in of itself. It's how to modulate it, how how to summon it, not in an artificial way, but in a, a craftsman like way. When you're not in that moment, you know, hundred percent, which you can never be. And so, to me, that that generation of actors is stunning to me. And I think it's in part because they had the technical training, but they also grew up watching Pacino and De Niro and. Um, you know, in in Brando, and so they they fell in love with both types. Mm-hmm.
0: So after Lambda happened, what was your next step in your career?
1: Um, yeah, uh, it was just auditioning, and um, I uh, you know, and I auditioned. And I got I, I got some work, nothing big or prominent, like some small you know, regional places, I, mostly Shakespeare. Um, was this
0: back in America or did you stay Yeah, in Back America? in America, yeah.
1: No, no, okay. I, I came back and, and lived in America and um, and so did some small regional things, got to play some fun Shakespearean roles, but nothing huge uh, in terms of the theater, uh, theaters I was working at. Um, and then I was starting to do a lot of sketch comedy too, mm-hmm. an improv comedy. Uh, I had a troupe that was in uh, the village, played in the village every week. Um, and, um, that's when I started writing really with sketches Mm
0: -hmm. and,
1: um, right around that time. I also, I also, I also should say that really all my life I've I've had, I've suffered a lot with depression and like in my twenties, I had this crushing depression, which really, I think sabotaged any chance I had at really getting anywhere as an actor. Not that I would have anyway, but you know, when you're as an actor, obviously you need a constant drive and you need to, you know, get up out of your bed and attack as many things as you can.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just didn't I just couldn't do that. I mean, I just couldn't do that for long stretches of time. Um and then as my 20s progressed, um, you know, I was having some success with the sketch comedy. It was a great training as a writer because mm-hmm. you know you'd write the sketches and then you'd perform them sometime in you know, that very week. And, you know, the, the audience is the best teacher in the world, you know, would tell you when you succeeded and would absolutely Mm -hmm. tell you when you didn't succeed. Mm -hmm. And so it's a quick learning curve.
0: Um, and then, sorry, sorry. would you, because I have a younger sister who's like really into comedy now. And she studied like at second city when she lived in Chicago and she's back home trying to get a job. She's fantastic. Like she has like a journalism degree from northwestern like underground graduate but like she really wants to like kind of figure out what her niche is with like journalism and comedy and uh-huh. so she's saying that with second city what they do is that they'll like write sketches and mm-hmm. then they'll perform it and they'll work on it is that mm-hmm. something similar to what you were doing because you said that the audience were like not the best teachers or whatever you, maybe you did say no, no, that. no they
1: were the best teachers yeah. I'm yeah, so where were,
0: were there sketches that you performed that you just kept working on or were you just like that sketch didn't work now yeah. that sketch worked. maybe I can work on this more like that's perfect
1: um I never said that last one but um you know the um yeah there were some sketches we would do and we thought <clears throat> this doesn't work and other sketches we do we thought well it can work, but we need to cut this or or change this or you know, throw in finger puppets, um, you know, when in doubt, go to finger yeah. puppets. and um, and others we thought, oh, this is very good. And so we would often, not often, but we would occasionally bring them back just to see that they were still working. and um and they did. Um, I mean, one of the mistakes I made in my um acting career was that I didn't pursue um institutions the way I should have, like Second city or the groundlings in l a or, Upright Citizens Brigade was just starting, um, mm-hmm. but it wasn't really a pr- major presence yet. Mm-hmm. But I think, but we were very, I think we were pretty good. I mean, you know, and um, we were getting a lot of positive feedback and we'd usually sell out most nights, but you couldn't get anyone from say SNL or any agents to come down and see you. Um, and so um, and at the time, anyway, they had a, apparently they had a policy in which they wouldn't cast out in New York. Cause I, I think that if they, and I don't know if that's true, but that's what they, we were told repeatedly because I think if they did, they'd be inundated every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but also our sketch comedy was different than a lot of that stuff. It's weird because I did a lot of improv, but when I wrote sketch comedy, it wasn't loose and improvised. It was really, I think more in sort of the Monty Python school, not in terms of the style or even the quality certainly, but you know, it's just that you write these out. And you rehearse them, and you figure out what works, and then it's the script is locked in, mm-hmm. and so, um, so I think that in many ways, um, and we didn't do recurring characters, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't do things like that, um, so it was a slightly different side to it. But what your sister's doing you know, with Second City and mm-hmm. doing that, I think that's a very smart path.
0: Yeah. It's so funny that you mentioned SNL because of the, I'm a huge SNL fan and you just like mm-hmm. over the years can just see the evolution of like the sketches and all that. So like the mm-hmm. years of um like uh, Molly Shannon and Chris Kattan and Sherry Terry and Will Ferrell, like that era had the recurring characters yeah and then, like as you moved on like even now they don't really have recurring characters unless they're on weekend update like they don't right they have like recurring character sketches and, and like back in the day they used to so it's very interesting that you
1: yeah and- it's interesting that they moved away from that model i haven't i I'm, I'm am i very much enjoy a lot of their stuff i don't watch it as often as i as i uh, should because you Know what I'll do is I'll sort of cheat and I like the next day when they'll put the yeah. real top stuff up, and I very much enjoy a lot of those things, but yeah. um, yeah, that era, which is a you know, the Will Fer- Ferrell era, mm-hmm. was sort of when we were doing our thing too, and so the the, the uh, I guess the the organizing principle in those days is very different than what you know we were doing, and um you know, not that we would have gotten anywhere anyway, but I mean, um, it was just a very different vibe to it. I mean, but Will Ferrell, I mean, you can't be funnier than Will Ferrell. Yeah.
0: So what kind of led you into playwriting?
1: Right. Well, uh, I think the sketch comedy was sort of the great, the, the uh, the gateway drug. And then um, right around that time, the sketch group disbanded and, um, At that time, also, I just got married and I was going to have a child. And as I say, he—I knew he was going to want to eat every day, so I had to get a day job. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and that was a bit of an existential crisis for me. Um, And then I, you know, realized, well, I can't act anymore realistically in a a professional sense because I can't—if I get a day job, I I can't go on auditions, you Mm -hmm. know. Uh, very often it makes it very problematic and I certainly can't even if I'm cast go away for five months you know and then come back to the job so but what I realized was well you know uh I can I can try writing um Mm -hmm. I can do that at home and so I first started trying to write plays right around that point Mm -hmm. and um you know and, and I and I found that I was you know okay at it to begin with and I and then I felt myself getting better at a at a at a clip I was happy with. And then I got lucky and then got some my you know the first play I first full length play I wrote um got produced at a at a you know small regional theater. And so
0: And which play was that?
1: It's called Place Setting. Um I look back on it now and I mean it got very nice reviews uh but I look back on it now and like <laughs> you know it's a well, little Well you
0: know what's good about that it's your place so you can always go back and revive it. You know, that's
1: a very good point that's a very good point but you know fortunately i you know i have i've been fairly um um prolific i've written a lot of plays and so i've usually yeah. not at a lack of so i rather i usually tend to go forward now my second play uh which is called poetic license which was produced and it was the rehearsals were a disaster um the lead actor couldn't get off book and so we had to replace him four rehearsals out. And only then when we could listen to the play, we realized, wow, that last 15 minutes is a train wreck. And so I never really got the chance to, to finish it, but I was encouraged to rewrite it and uh, it eventually got done off Broadway. But even as we were rehearsing it off Broadway, mm-hmm. estimate mean, it still wasn't quite right. And literally I was rewriting it every night until load in. And then I think we sort of got it right. And then, it, you know, and uh, fortunately by the time it opened uh, off Broadway, it it did well. got nice notices,
0: yeah. um can you I'm just like, I have like a thing of notes because I wrote down a lot of your plays. So Play yeah. Science was actually a finalist for the mm. new York star Ledgers best play of twenty of uh, two thousand and seven. and that was along with Elaine May and Edward El- Albee. Edward Albee, yeah.
1: And and also Teresa Rebeck, I think I think she yeah. won it that year, and so I was, you know, always a bridesmaid. But no, but I mean, when they the cliches, it's an honor to be nominated. I mean, that made my ear. I didn't, yeah. you know, uh, care that much if I won. It was just to see my name in a newspaper in the same sentence with those other writers was yeah. was a real thrill.
0: Yeah. So another play of yours that's I guess I don't want to say like the most well known of your shows, but it's definitely like the most promoted is Jericho. Oh, oh
1: yeah uh jericho is a play i wrote around 2008 ish nine ish and um
0: now before we get into like i i'm curious because i knew like i feel like i've seen about the show like i've seen the title and then i I read what it was about because i read the new york times critics pick award when Mm. it was at uh 59 east 59 theater yeah I thought it was just a very interesting concept, so like where did the idea of the show come around?
1: Oh, well, that's a really um that's a good question. well done. um, I have yeah. to try and remember now, but i I had two sort of threads going on in my in my head. It was the first time I ever wanted to write a play about an idea um I mean not in the sense that i I felt I had anything to um to say or teach anyone. I was just sort of curious It was a question that I had, which was um. Growing up on Long, Long Island, as as you know, um, it's a very diverse population in many ways, and so um, I, and I have um, a lot of family who are Jewish, and there's I'm you know many many Jewish friends in Long Island, it's a large community, and at the time in particular, there was a a trend of of uh, men and women uh, going on on birthright uh, or visiting who were uh, by all accounts ahead of time uh, completely secular in their outlook, mm-hmm. and many of them decided to move and often like to the West Bank. And I was, you know, basically a coward. And so I said, well, I, what would make, what would make someone who has a fairly safe, comfortable existence, go into something, go and move to a country and be surrounded by people who uh, are, you know, want you dead (laughs) very often. Um, And I said, and I, I, that had nothing to do with the play, but I was pondering that. And then I, I sort of came to the realization that it probably has as much to do with what's not here in America mm-hmm. as what is there. And that I and I guess in a word, that would probably be a sense of community. I think we're incredibly fragmented here. Mm-hmm. And not that there aren't fragmentations in Israel, but there is a sense of common purpose. And so I wanted to sort of write about that. And then I had a separate strand about a woman um, who uh, was uh, having a very difficult time processing the death of her husband, uh, who happened to die in 9-11. And um, which I was very mm, about writing about anything about 9-11, because I didn't think it was I didn't think I I certainly didn't have anything to say about 9-11, like you know, sociopolitically or otherwise. Um, but uh and the two threads interconnect in the play, um, in various ways. But uh, so that's really what was the starting point. And then as the as the play um as i started to to write it out and this is usually what happens to me in my plays the play sort of let me know what it really wanted to be about and so i and so i sort of followed that that trail
0: yeah so that's interesting that you said you don't really write a play when you have an idea in your head so, because you have written so many plays like before and after Jericho, where yeah. do, do you just sit at a computer and just let it come out of you? Or how does a play come about out of your mind and into whatever you type into?
1: Well, I don't know. I think that uh, once or twice I've tried writing a play based on like almost like a writing prompt idea, right? And, but I, what I try to do, and I can't explain it, it's, uh, I'm not, I, I don't approach it particularly intellectually. I, it, it's a lot more in, intuitive a story or a thought um, just grabs me as something that that's really sounds like a fascinating idea mm-hmm. uh, to kind of explore. Usually it's about, I guess it boils down to oftentimes, gosh, what, w- what would I do in that situation? I have no idea what I would do in a similar, in that situation. And so I would sort of proceed that way. And it comes and goes during the, um, during a lockdown and COVID, I think as a means of keeping uh, some semblance of sanity, I wrote, Constantly. I think I wrote uh, probably an objectively unhealthy amount from a psychological perspective. I think I wrote like three or four plays. And I mean, just I was just constantly writing. But I also have gone since last year, I've gone almost two years now uh, without anything that sort of grabbed me by the throat and said I have to write it. But I'm okay with that because I know it'll or I think it'll come at some point. And I just went through a period where I wrote a ton Mm -hmm. that I think is maybe to a degree. Uh, unusual, so I'm okay with my brain saying I need to recharge on that sense. But it's it's almost never, although Jericho is a little bit different. But it's almost never a, a an idea that I want to explore. It's more of a feeling of this would be fun to try to to write. It's always always almost always, always comes from a question of some sort, and mm-hmm. it's usually, well, what would that be like? You know, how would how would I respond, and how do people respond to this? I mean, we have and I know we'll get to it later. We have an, um, my theater company has an audio play out on all podcast platforms called step nine. Um, and the premise of that, uh, was from a news story. And I just thought that's an amazing mm-hmm. moral and social dilemma that, um, it says, and just, uh, and, and I didn't really follow the news story after that because I didn't want to write a docudrama, mm-hmm. but, um, this it's based on a true story in which a, a woman, when she was a, a young woman in college, she was she was raped and it was in the late 80s or so. And so, you know, it's still often the case, unfortunately, but certainly the case back then where she really couldn't get anywhere in terms of getting any sense of justice um, or punishment for her, her attacker. Um, but she eventually decided, well, I'm going to try as best I can, you know, to put it behind me and sort of live my life. And. Um, you know, they don't I don't know how successful she was, but I get the sense that she was reasonably successful as much as one can be in that regard. And then about 30 years later, she gets a letter of an apology from the rapist who is in re- going into recovery. And one of the steps, step nine, is mm-hmm. to make amends with people you've wronged. Now, of course, that step also says if your, if your apology or go, reaching out to them is going to traumatize them, don't do it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what he was thinking, but he really did that. And so now she, you know, the, the first of all, how does she take it on emotionally? Um, and the character, as I started to write her then, was someone who was um always compartmentalizing and sort of like refusing to admit that things really bothered her that bothered her. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as she knew, she was humming along life fairly successfully, although a lot of people around her didn't think so. Um, but now it's up in her face and she doesn't know what to do with it, and now. There are legal ramifications because she's allowed to press charges now, and so she has to wrestle with: Do I want to put myself through that? Because it's often a hellish experience, both legally and psychologically, for uh, for women who do that. So it's sort of wrestling with that idea. Um, I should add: there's also jokes, so it's not it's not a constantly wearing sackcloth kind of wearing drama. But uh, so that's a great example of it. I I heard about this and instantly I said: there's a play in that. There's a plan. So,
0: yeah, I felt that way when I saw one. I was watching Mystic Pizza one day. I was like, this could be a musical. I can see a musical number right here.
1: Yeah.
0: And then they, and I like talked to my old roommate. I was like, how do we make this happen? And she's like, you uh, need to do all these things. I was like, I'm not a writer. And then mm. they announced her, like, we're turning, like, somebody announced somewhere that they're turning it into a musical. So I was like, well, those there goes my idea of turning that into a musical i feel like my idea of it was probably better than what they did but they originally well, like, yeah. somewhere and i think it was just like it was like a jukebox musical they were using like songs yeah. for the show Where for me it was like it could have dramatic moments and funny moments and original music
1: right i mean if i i, I haven't seen that movie in a long time but if i remember one of the you know, it would be handled very differently today but one of the key dramatic elements i think is a is a man in his 40s or whatever having an affair with a woman a girl who's like 18 and yeah um, but he's married with children yeah. and so, yeah. well my biggest
0: it, thing was like their mother would have a moment where like between hmm. her and like julia roberts's character i'm like i feel like there's a song that this mother can have right in this moment and that's where i was yeah. like oh, that could be a musical
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's moments like that. I mean, one of the things I, I, I'm sort of self-taught, um, you know, in terms of, in terms of writing and I, um, one of the things I, th- I think, although I don't write musicals, uh-huh. they're great lessons to be had if you're, if for, um, for writers of just regular drama or plays. Uh-huh. I mean, usually, I think John Guerre first said this, he said that, you know, the second song of the play musical is always the want song. Mm -hmm. It's always, this is what I want. um, And this is what I need in some form or variation of another. Um, And I haven't run the data on it, but it sounds basically right to me. And, and that's a great, um, that's a great lesson. In other words, you need to find out what the want is Mm -hmm. no more, uh, at least get a hint of what the want is no more than say like 15, 20 minutes into the play. So um, I mean, that's a great structural uh, mm-hmm. structural hint. Yeah,
0: You know, before we started the podcast, you and I were talking about how um, you don't do musicals and, which you know, not many writers do. But then you said when we started that you wanted to be a musician.
1: Yeah. So, I, I mean, get, I
0: think right? it is possible where you could I mean, don't necessarily have to write a musical, but you can do a play with music in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, in in fact, uh, not to keep bringing it back to step nine, but um, yeah. but uh, but I'm going to uh, you know, ad nauseum. Um, uh, and um, on that's the That's pod- fine. Yes, no, no, yeah. no. That's thank you. Um, yeah, like there's music in that, and I and I wrote and, and played that music, and it's but it's a the music I loved was tended to be more uh, rock oriented, mm-hmm. which now I mean, uh, it, there's a lot more cross. Pollination in that
0: yeah. regard. Listen, I, there's so many different types of musicals and plays mm-hmm. with music. And, you know, I feel like nothing's really off limit. I mean, they had a Broadway musical about Tupac. So, yeah, you know, I did yeah. not see it, but I'm, um, I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, listen, I, I don't think that there are or should be many boundaries. um It's just and and it's I've thought about that myself sometimes because I thought, well, I really love music and I and I and I write a little music um, and I love writing. So why is there like a Berlin Wall in my mind (laughs) between the two? Maybe you
0: just need to write a show about a musician and then write all the original music for the show.
1: That's true. Actually, I have written a show about a musician, but the musician was so apparently so, so good that it was one of these things where I said, well, the audience can never hear the music because it's always going to be much better in their heads than anything. Certainly I'm going to write, but even if you hire a great songwriter, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be as it's always better to have that in the audience's imagination. Um, Just like in a lot of horror films, it's usually better when you barely see the actual monster.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's the point of preference. Like if you feel that mm. way, you feel that way. Other people might mm. not, you know, I'm trying to think. I'm. There was that play One Man, Two Governors. And like in between scenes, they would have like yeah. little musical numbers.
1: Love that. Play. And
0: I actually have the cast recording of that, like Ooh. of that show that they did.
1: Yeah. I bet it's yeah. wonderful. I, lo- I saw that and, and fell in love with it. And I loved the musical interludes, you know, yeah. it's just. Yeah, wonderful. so
0: they took all of those musical interludes with those musicians, and they turned mm-hmm. it into, um, they turned put it on an album, and it's on my phone.
1: That yeah, yeah. It, it, well, it's great music. It's very yeah. bouncy and enjoyable, and in mm-hmm. in of course the whole tone of that play is you know it's basically a farce. Yeah. Um, um, which sounds like an insult. It was a farce. No, but yeah. I mean it's a farce, which is mm-hmm. so fun. And the whole yeah. the evening is like this is going to be great fun and you're Mm going to put all your troubles aside and just laugh your head off and god i love those plays and uh, so i think the music fit in brilliantly with that conceit
0: i think there was also that's like bringing me back to like another play that i saw on broadway like to this day one of my top going theater experiences was a brief encounter which oh okay yeah and they had like i think they had like some interludes in between but like some of them were musical where one of Mm. them was like playing on a cello or something Mm. like slowly coming back to me but like not in a like "Mm," way just like a fun little cutesy thing
1: cellos uh, yeah and then at
0: the end of the play like after like everyone bowed like the cast came to like the back of the theater and they were actually playing music like upbeat to, mm, said, think, like the two playing like, spoons or something that's yeah fun. so it can work in a play setting
1: oh yeah absolutely yeah. And, and like once is a great example of that i loved that musical and
0: one of my uh, favorite musicals of all time
1: yeah m- well mine too i mean and like i said i'm not a huge musical guy but i just that's among my favorite shows i've ever seen mm-hmm. um and the way they you know they began the show you're up on you're you up on the stage and, and there's and these musicians playing and it's you know it's just beautiful of course the music is also gorgeous too
0: yeah I can I literally I I had um an actor on my podcast a little while ago and he like was one of the replacements in once, mm-hmm. and once I I like was talking to him like oh wait he doesn't realize like my love of this musical and I told him like I can have an entire podcast episode just talking about this musical because I just love it so much um it's beautiful, so man. Getting back to Jericho, you won. Hold on, I wrote, the Edgerton Writing Award for that.
1: Yeah, 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 and
0: for your other play, The Source.
1: The Source, yeah, which yeah. was in twenty nineteen. Um, yeah, I mean that was very nice. I got. A, I mean, it it did very well. There did a lot of regional productions of it, and um, was part of something called the New Play Networks um, National New New Play Network. So, rolling world premiere. So there were like four or five productions of it in that year or so, and uh, a few others uh, subsequent to that. And uh, it's it's gotten a very good reception. So I feel very lucky about that. And then uh, when we took it off Broadway, it did very well, too. So um, and actually it it was published and actually went into a second printing. So I felt very, very special about that and, you know, probably made me about 18 bucks, but I was very happy. 18's better can-
0: than nothing.
1: That's right. So, no, but it's you know oh, sorry,
0: I'm, go ahead. No, 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 I'm done. So the pandemic hits, every mm-hmm. theater is closed. Mm-hmm. You're writing 15 million plays at once.
1: Yeah. How
0: did the new normal rep start?
1: Well, um,
0: and tell the folks at home what it is.
1: Well, new normal rep uh is an online theater company which mm-hmm. uh incorporates a lot of different things. We certainly do we have something called the incubator series where we have um essentially staged readings of Mm -hmm. new work and and, in work that is being workshopped um but we also had our first season we had four full-length productions that were produced as full plays i'll get more into that in a minute but the origin story so to speak was around april i was starting to jump out of my skin with Uh, uh, april
0: 2020
1: yeah yeah okay and um I reached out to a bunch of friends of mine and said, why don't we just Zoom like a play reading every week, once a week? Can be any play anyone wants to do. Anyone can play anything. And so I reached out to actors I've worked with over the years. And um, the the one thing I I just wanted to, the two things I wanted to have in common in this group is they had to be good actors, but more importantly, they had to be people I enjoyed hanging out with. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think we all really got a lot out of it uh, just because we knew every week we'd see each other and we'd, uh, you know, have fun. Um, and we and we did everything from Kaufman to Shakespeare and so, and everything in between. Um, and so that was just wonderful. And it was somewhere along the way, a few of us said, you know, this is actually a pretty good rep company we have the makings of. And so... And we also, of course, at that time, I think we all remember that there were tons of plays being done as, as readings on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember watching, I don't know if you remember this, but they did it as a Democratic fundraiser, the, the cast of The Princess Bride. Yep,
0: movie. I watched it.
1: I did it. And of course, you know, I love The Princess Bride and the cast is brilliant and amazing. But I, even in that one, it seemed that it was clearly pretty primitive, right? It's like very new technology. Yeah. And, and um, in terms of how to approach it as an actor or director, you know, they're all sort of groping their way through it. Um, and, and that's not at all to uh, disparage the the work they did, but it felt like, and we saw several things like that. And I, and a couple of friends of mine said, you know, it's it's a new medium that probably will not ever go away. And it's certainly never going to replace live theater. I mean, we're not pretending that it does do that. And we all work in theater and want to continue to work in theater. But we thought, but it, but it can be, a worthwhile experience if we can find a, a way of doing it right. And it's you know still a work in process, but we, the, fir- we did a four play season. Uh, you know, we sort of figured out what our principles were and our main principles were to give access to uh, writers and actors um, uh, both uh, who, you know, to reflect a diversity, but also newer un- underproduced works. Mm-hmm. And um and then I would also like to play in my season two, because, you know, um, I, you know, like most writers, I'm a bit of a egotist. And so um, we decided we'd have four plays and um, Marsha Mason directed the first play, uh, which was of mine, which actually was Jericho. Um, and uh, the two of us sort of struggled over what the aesthetic was like, because. Marsha Mason is, is is a brilliant actress and director, but she said to me, I've never done this uh, And so we had to sort of figure it out. And what we settled on was um aesthetic where like we just you know had a green screen in back and so it looked like everyone was in the same room. Mm-hmm. But we made a choice that it would be everyone all the actors would be facing the camera. Um, mm-hmm. And they wouldn't have scripts in hand. Um, you know, we had a, a mechanism where the script was sort of a scrolling script. So, but they all knew the play very well. Mm-hmm. So even if they weren't off book, they were close enough to it. Oh, so wow. um, they were clearly just you know acting into the camera. And and what a lot of people found who saw these plays that they liked was it. Uh, a lot of people said it gave them the sense that they were actually physically in the scene. With the other actors, which is an experience they've never really experienced before because it's it's not really done uh, that way often. And um, we really were excited by the response. And um then we did Two Sisters and Piano by Nilo Cruz, who who actually was kind enough to direct it. And um, you know, it took a little momentum on its own. I, you know, Jimmy Smith did that production with Daphne Rubin Vega, and mm-hmm. uh that you know, we learned from that and we built on the next one. And the next one was a brilliant play by um, Nicole Salter um, and directed by uh, Hawaii Tempo, Tempo rather. So, I mean, it was just, we were just very uh, thrilled with the amount of talent we were getting to be in these works and how excited people were to sort of tackle something that's brand new uh, Mm -hmm. and has its own constraints to be sure. We're all aware of all the, the problems of doing online theater, but I think it also presents opportunities because the other main goal we had philosophically is we want to democratize theater. We, you know, theater is too expensive and it's also so geographically limited. If you don't live in within a very relatively small parts of the world where major theaters conglomerate, you're out of luck. Um yeah. And you know, people are always talking about the notion of theater, you know, dying. It's been dying since Euripides, right? But, um, but uh, one of the problems is, I think, is that most people aren't exposed to really the theater very often. Uh, I mean, I grew up on Long Island, and my parents, who are both very educated, very bright, cultured people, never went to the theater. So I lived about an hour outside of the city, and I almost never went to the theater. Um, and so we think that's awful. And we think that a a way to help rejuvenate the theater and, and I think art isn't a luxury and I think theater is not a luxury. And if we can provide it to anyone in the world who has internet access for almost nothing, or in fact, for nothing with with our audio play, um, then I think that's a, that's a net good, you know, for the world.
0: Can I Um, ask um, where did you stream these plays?
1: Um, at our, well, we have a website and then you can, you can, you know, log into that. And we also, um, you know, there were a few platforms that were really big during the pandemic that, um, would help you stream and help you set up your tickets, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, we went with one called on the stage and they were very, uh, good. Um, but basically, uh, you know, if you wanted to go see the play, you could log in, uh, to our website and it would take you to um the page that would be dedicated to that. And and you could, you know, you could aircast it. You could certainly put it on the television. Um but what we found out pretty quickly is that you know these um online plays are a little bit different and and obviously in in very different in some ways from theater and it's, but it's also different than television or movies. Mm -hmm. Um, And be part of that is because the actors are looking right at you. Even if they're talking to the characters, there's an, there's a real intimacy. That's one of the words that kept coming back to us too, from the audience is that it's really intimate work um, because you're also so physically close to the actors and they're so right on top of you that we, you know, and I think that's exciting. People really respond well uh, to that and, and engage them in a, in a unique and new way. And I don't fortunately or fortunately, I don't think this, you know, streaming world is ever going to go, you know, away. And I think that there's a way to make that a, a positive for theater, to to really let the whole world, anyone who's interested and has access to the internet, can watch um, you know, some very good theatrical experiences.
0: How did you how did I mean you've performed in some, correct? some of the show. i i
1: only i performed in the audio play that's out okay. now step 9 i don't know that i've mentioned that but um step yeah nine,
0: <laughs> what was that one um step 9 on uh, step all podcast platforms. so i'm yeah, that- um, i mean like i told you before we started the podcast i mm-hmm. have a background in doing virtual play readings uh cuz mm-hmm. like i My- recorded a lot of them during the pandemic mm-hmm. so i'm curious what was the feedback that you heard from the performers while doing it
1: it took. Well, I was most directly involved artistically with Jericho because you know I, I I was the writer, and my my philosophy as as artistic director is that I'm there for the uh, writer and the uh, director in any way they need me. Mm-hmm. But I've been in a lot of i've seen a lot of moments with other people with my plays where the director and the cast and i are all gelling and we're working and then someone comes in and watches it and it's and it's and they're not on the same plane so my job was to get people and works that i really trusted and make myself available to them and then sort of let them do their thing mm-hmm. um which i think for an artist is the best way to do it but i i can tell you that for jericho um and many of the actors were on it, were in it on off when it was off Broadway. So they knew the play, but it was initially disorienting for them. But what they said afterwards is that it was different. It was a unique experience for them. And and again, the word intimate kept coming up. That there was a real sort of intimacy, even though they're never in the same room, yeah, <laughs> literally physically. Um, it allowed for I mean, just looking at that actor. So, you know, cause the screens are set up so that you would see the other actors you were in the scene with that close up. And um, it, you know, and it could have been, of course, the time that has passed since it was off Broadway too, but, and it, I'm very proud and happy with what it did off Broadway, but I think it was actually a, a richer experience of watching it online. Again, not just, you know, no, again, I don't want to come across as saying, you know, it's better than theater. It, it's just different than theater.
0: Would you ever turn it into a film?
1: um it's certainly possible um there's um a question of you know money (laughs) i mean one of the advantages of online theater is that it's it's by no stretch of the imagination cheap to do but compared to a brick and mortar playhouse uh, let alone a a film budget Mm -hmm. it is a lot more economical which in turn makes us able to charge relatively little i think we charge something like 20 bucks a ticket Mm -hmm. uh and if you were a student or a, a theater artist, um, we'd give it to you for 10. And if you didn't have anything, we'd, we'd give it to you for free. Our main goal is to try and really democratize this as much as possible. Um, yeah, we'd love to, I'd love to do it as as a film. Cause that would mean someone would have given me the budget to do that. Um, there's a lot of things that we would, that I personally as a writer, you know, um, and I've written a couple of screenplays in, in like uh, unproduced <laughs> and, um, some TV uh, limited series. So I'm certainly excited by the idea of writing for those, um, you know, uh, mediums or media. But, um, you know, to me, like you said earlier, but there should be no boundaries. I mean, things can can be yeah. elsewise. Actually, Marsha Mason a, a suggested to me that we work on Jericho's a screenplay. So that uh, might be in the offing.
0: Yeah, because you're saying you think it worked really well online as like a visual medium. So yeah. that kind of leads its way to film. Or, you know, like a TV movie or something. Like yeah, it can be a movie.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, well, that would be, boy, would that make me happy. But, um, you know, the other thing too that this, what we found, and as a as a playwright, I was happy about this, is that the medium really sort of privileges language in a way mm-hmm. um, that, generally speaking, film does not. Um, and so, but I mean, there are different writers who do, who do have different styles. So... Mm-hmm. Anyone who would agree to produce this film would have to be okay with the fact that a lot of it is people talking,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know. um, Which, and I love those. And a movies. lot of
0: plays to movies or to. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Play. Well, I mean, you know, the whale out now is yeah, is the whale. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: The one that just like stuck in my head was dinner with friends. They did that as an
1: uh, movie. Yeah. Yeah, but that also lent itself beautifully to sort of expanding the canvas in terms of yeah. different sets and locations. But yeah, no, I, I'm not opposed to, you know, as many media as, as possible. I'm, I'm, I'm down for it.
0: So with your uh, new normal rep, are people still able to watch the plays or is well, it it, like it, you were due to certain comp, like union, union
1: restrictions, except only except
0: allowed a certain amount of time to perform it.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're usually yeah. ran for about a month or so. However, um, um, it's funny you should mention that because um, for listeners of this podcast, uh, we have arranged um, Jericho um, is available to listeners of this podcast uh, because yeah. Yeah. Um, if you go to the website newnormalrep.org um, backslash bonus, it'll take you to um, take you to a portal for that, and you type in the password, which is capital NNR. 2022. And then you get to write this
0: down, NNR 22.
1: Yeah. And uh, then you will uh, have access to that. The main issue with unions was really the director's guild. I'm sorry. No, no, that's not true. The dramatist's guild. Um, And since I wrote Jericho, I was okay with it, you know? So um, I, I waived my compensation um, for, for it just as I did, you know, during the regular thing. So the other plays um so in other words we're doing one of my play which I, plays which i feel a little self-conscious about um because it it just seems so uh icky <laughs> that if i have this theater we're doing my plays but this play we're doing because it uh in terms of union issues and and compensation that directors want uh and in are entitled to um this and, and right i keep on saying directors but i mean playwrights uh and directors and so uh we were fine with that Marsha and i were fine with that yeah. so um so it's available. Yeah. And I would, I would love people to, to watch it. You know,
0: that's great. Yeah. I'll definitely post about it on my very little social media following on Instagram. <laughs> um, so what you, we're going to get into step nine. We're not at yes. step nine yet. We're not at the ninth step of the podcast. You mean the
1: audio play step nine? Yeah. The oh, it's control? an audio play? Yes. Um, yeah, anyway.
0: So what, I'm trying to figure out like what I'm saying. So what? you did these plays. So kind of what's your, what's your next step? Like what's your next goal for the new normal rep? Do you still want to continue doing these virtual plays? Yes. we or do, do you just kind of, are you kind of like looking at both? Are you thinking more of an audio play? Do you want to turn step nine into a
1: visual? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's very possible. I mean, the thing with step nine is we, we, we chose it in a way because it lent itself well to the audio experience, but also um, it would, it's ridiculous, but because it has seven characters Mm -hmm. that renders it endemically unproducible in like 80% of the theaters because the cast is quote too large, which is ridiculous, but it's the truth of the matter. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, we're open to all of the above. We loved the audio play experience. We think it has a real, um, potential and it's growing in America. In the UK, it's always been yeah. part of the culture radio plays. Um, we'd like to do all of the above is the answer. Um, we, what we're doing this year, um, this season, we slow down a bit because we're, we're really doing right now is we're pursuing grants mm-hmm. um, to make it uh, financially sustainable for us to, to keep on producing, um, you know, the, the fully produced plays as well as the, um, the incubator series where we really want to give writers who uh, may not otherwise have the opportunity to hear their work um, mm-hmm. a chance to do that. And we lose money on that, which we're fine with. Um, but I mean, for example, there are a couple of writers, one of whom I'm thinking of right now, who's who's based in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And so she got to hear the play done by really good professional New York actors, which she told me, she said, there's no way I would have ever gotten to do this normally. And so as a writer, I know firsthand how invaluable it is to be able to hear the play, you know. Um, and so it was, uh, you know, it's great to be able to to try and do that. That's part of what we want to do as well.
0: Yeah. So now we're at step nine. Let's talk about it. So you yeah. already told us where the idea kind of came into play. So what made you guys want to do this as an audio play as opposed to like an actual virtual production?
1: Well, um, well, first of all, it was the idea uh, of the uh, as we were applying for grants this year, our budget was a little bit smaller than it was last year. Mm -hmm. So but we wanted to do at least one fully produced work. Mm -hmm. And so I hit on the idea of an audio play because, well, by no stretch of the imagination free, um, it was less expensive. And I thought, you know, we were able to sort of kind of basically do it within our budget. Mm -hmm. so that was the you know so the medium sort of drove the the mission um and we chose step nine in part because of the cast size but also it's um relatively long play it's not incredibly long it's probably like two hours 20 minutes or so which is not an unreasonably long time for a play but it's also perfect for serializing Mm -hmm. um which we did so it's in eight episodes of course if we were smart we would have made it nine episodes but we couldn't really stretch it that far um and so it just seemed to check a lot of the boxes for um, what we were looking to do with it. Because we, uh, you know, you, if you want to binge it and listen to it all at once, you certainly can do that. But a lot of times people only have 25 minutes to listen to it. And so we broke it into uh, dramatically justifiable sections. Um And so we thought that was a, it was sort of a natural fit in that regard. Not to mention that we always are bringing in new actors and writers and directors, but we do really uh, pay attention to the rep of new normal rep. We have what we consider sort of a repertory company. Mm -hmm. So we have a stable of actors and, and also directors and writers um, whose work, you know, we want to sort of nurture. And, and I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, our true rep company, because now a lot of us have known each other for years and acted with each other for years. And this play had several roles. Actually, I'd written it in particular for one actor, one actress who plays the lead. Um, and, you know, I wrote some of the roles for some of the people in the company. And so it, it just made sense on a bunch of levels.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm just putting it out there. I do have a background in directing virtuals. So if you need-
1: I'm, virtual... I'm quite serious. We're always looking to have more people uh, I... join.
0: I have like almost every single virtual reading I directed
1: saved. Well, let's, well, let and I'm not joking. Let's, let's talk afterwards. Cause that would be great. It would be great to bring you on.
0: I can just read you off the list of the 18. 18- <laughs>
1: 18, my goodness. Within yeah. like
0: from 20, from May, 2020 to August, 2021.
1: Wow. Well, now I feel silly for saying I was particularly prolific back in the pandemic as 18.
0: Well, you know, it's funny that, yeah, well, the reason it happened was because during the pandemic, I'm like, for those who has listened to the podcast have heard me talk about me doing these virtual readings that were literally like three years ago and then Mm -hmm. two years ago. Um, It all started because I saw all of these people doing like these readings and on Zoom and then posting them on Facebook. And I've always wanted to direct a production of The Shape of Things. So I just posted like, hey, I want to like do a virtual reading of The Shape of Things. And my friend named Tim, he came on my podcast and he's like, my dream role is Adam. I was like, oh my God, my dream role is, my dream play to direct is The Shape of Things. Mm. And so that kind of like catalysted into what it became. So we had like, we had a Tony winner playing Evelyn we mm-hmm. had like a bunch of other Broadway people. Neil Abute did the Q&A with us after. Oh, and that's because, great. Yeah. And because of that, we started our own virtual play reading company that dissolved and then it was like rebirthed into something else mm-hmm. um, in 2021. And so we just like right. every month we were doing like two and then, you know, the people watching the readings kind of died down, and you know things started opening up. So that's kind of we started to kind of do it once a month, and then we kind of yeah. stopped doing them.
1: And there's also there was also a clear fatigue that was you know Zoom fatigue, which is kind of one of the things that we were very conscious of and seeing how we could try and uh, work around that as best we could. Uh, no no question, but that sounds very exciting. And so certainly COVID was a tragedy, um, mm-hmm. but you know you know, actors want to act, you yeah. know, so you're depriving, you know, writers and directors and actors, you know, of, you know, the stuff that they do I and mean, that, that, that to probably an unhealthy extent, many of them find inseparable from who they are. And so there was a lot more, it was a lot, there are a lot of gates that were open, right. There are a lot fewer gatekeepers. Yeah. And um, I'm glad you were able to sort of clearly, you know, use that uh, mm-hmm. for something that sounds really interesting and positive.
0: Yeah. And all of the, and we didn't charge anything. The readings were free. Like the actors did them for free. I mean, we, depending on who the playwright was, we paid for the rights and all that stuff for the play, mm-hmm. but um, it was for donations for the now entertainment fund, formerly the actors fund. Mm-hmm. And there we did a reading that we decided to raise money for the Trevor project. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the other organization was um, Broadway cares. Nice.
1: great. So,
0: we're like, you know, donations are strongly recommended if you're watching and all that stuff. So, and I think people were just so happy to be watching something, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's,
1: a, there's a woman in my, in my company who's a brilliant actress and, um, and actually she, she directed step nine, actually it was her first, it was a directorial debut and she was brilliant because she's frustratingly smart. And she said, um, she really put it very well. She, she described, you know, the, the genesis basically of NNR is like, you know, it sort of, we sort of built a little campfire in the dark where we all kind of like huddle around occasionally and tell stories and, and be with each other. And, you know, not to get too Joseph Campbell about it, but I mean, you know, you know, narrative is such an essential part of human existence. And when you're deprived of that, um, both as a, as a audience member and a, Participant, it's it creates a hole.
0: Yeah. Do you have any other shows that you're hoping to do as an audio? You don't have to say what they are, but do you have other shows you're hoping to do as audio plays?
1: Uh, the answer is yes, we do. The the but we we're not sure what they are yet. I mean, certainly, you know, obviously, it's going to be not one of mine because we've already done one of mine. So we'd like to, uh, you know, so we're very much in the business of thinking, um, thinking of what the next project would be in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, We uh, need to see too. I mean, we need to get grant money first, frankly, before we do a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we're hoping, and we're very curious to see what the numbers will be with the audio play. Um, I mean, the good news about audio plays is that they're kind of there basically forever, you know? Um, So, um, you know, we, we would like it, we'd like to do that. We need to see that the numbers are worth it. You know, in, in that sense, Oh, uh, we definitely want to do other full productions, but we're not at the stage right now where we're sure about what we're going to do this next season. We'll definitely do more free reading series. There's no yeah. question about that because, you know, we think it's really important and and, and it's also fun. Um, and, you know, uh, and all of us have individual projects, too. I mean, like in real theater, I have a few plays right now that I'm trying to get um, a couple of plays in particular that I'm trying to get. Uh, produced. And so like, I'm going to the next few months start workshopping another play um, about uh, the relationship between Mozart and Beethoven. And um, so, you know, I'm very excited to do that. And that's the nice thing about NNR too, for its members is that it's, you know, we're not, you know, we're not uh, giving up theater by any stretch of the imagination, but we can come in and out of it and, um, and, and still keep the company together.
0: Yeah. So let's say somebody is interested in doing something with you, whether it be a playwright, a director or mm. an actor joining the repertory or being, mm. I guess you can say like on file. How would they get in touch about wanting to do that?
1: They can uh, um, send an email uh, to uh, info at new normal rep uh, dot org and uh, we will we will look at it. We will definitely you know read it and and respond.
0: Very cool. So how long do you foresee these? Cause I know you're saying like, um, I'm also very tired, so I apologize. My brain is like farting right now.
1: It, it's it's fine. It's it's you know, it's you know, I'm keeping up with you, and otherwise I may not be able to. So yeah, that's good. So my
0: brain is like as I make an actual fart noise on this podcast. You're welcome, everyone. Thank well, you. So- <laughs> Do you foresee these virtual plays continuing on and on and on and on for the next couple of years? Or do you think it's just
1: I, like, well, I mean, it's, it's a good question and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not it's, not, it's not false modesty. I'm, you know, I'm not nearly smart enough to be able to predict exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I, I have a hunch that it's not going to go away in one form or another. Um, I don't, and you know, I certainly don't think it's in competition with theater, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I and I think it's ultimately good for actual theater because, you know, to come up with a weird analogy, you know, in the 1930s, um, they started broadcasting baseball games on the radio, and the owners of the baseball teams were infuriated. And the same when it became televised, they're like, if people can hear and see the the games, they're not going to come. In fact, the opposite happened. It exposed whole new audiences to the, and they're like, well, I would love to go to see a baseball game. And so one of the things we want to do is show a lot of, give a lot of people exposure to uh, the work who normally wouldn't be part of their cultural vocabulary. And hopefully they will go to baseball games too. Um, no, I mean, they'll go see plays. Yeah.
0: Well, something cool that happened to me and the reading company I was a part of, uh, somebody reached out asking for, um, a copy of one of our readings that we did and really, like, no, nope, can't do that. Um, but I offered to meet with him because, because of us, he is actually directing a like actual production of one of the plays we did a virtual reading of, which was really cool. So oh, we really inspired right. him to do that. And he's yeah. like, he's in Vermont doing it and he's doing it in the round, which is a really interesting concept for that
1: show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, that's just a great example of sort of yeah. something that we're hoping to do as well. And mm-hmm. I love the idea that, um, I mean, for example, one of our best actors who's also in step nine, <laughs> um
0: in the audio play correct the audio play and on podcast sessions,
1: um, on
0: all podcasts apple spotify where you can hear the theater enthusiast podcast as well
1: whatever your local neighborhood podcaster is you can find it yeah. um but he a brilliant actor he, i mean he's worked a lot he's done a lot of work in television on on, on broadway and off broadway. you can
0: name drop him it's fine
1: uh jeffrey bean great actor a uh, great character actor and um he uh he grew up in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. and uh there i think there were some good theaters that you'd go to see but I, th- I, mean,
0: I had to google him because i like i think i know who it is but i need to look
1: everyone should google him and everyone should uh should worship him he's there's literally uh he's got such range there's nothing he can't do um
0: he looks very familiar somehow,
1: yeah he's terrific terrific um but he grew up in nebraska and obviously he found a way to pursue acting but i mean there are a lot of people in places such as Nebraska, or you name it, or uh, Africa, Asia, Europe, who aren't near these cultural centers, um, you know, the talent can come from anywhere, right? And so many people don't get the chance, in part, because they don't even know that's a thing. They don't know it's an option. And if, you know, we can do that on a regular basis and continue to produce work that we're proud of, obviously, first Mm -hmm. and foremost, then... I would hope that we'd be able to continue for a long time, you know, especially because it's not an, uh, an all or nothing endeavor. You know, we would continue to, I mean, I, I would, I definitely want to do more plays and have more actual plays produced. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, I don't think that one detracts from the other.
0: Yeah. Do you think though, if you did a new work as like a virtual medium do you think that would be like a good workshop for you for one of your new plays?
1: Yeah it would, well I think any production of a play is always a good way of of learning about the play mm-hmm. right so yeah. um you know there are you know and my plays tend to be and my guess is people who have listened this far into the podcast won't be shocked my plays tend to have characters who are pretty uh talkative mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the um the medium switch to virtual, uh, to online or even audio plays, like step nine. Um, it's not that big a transition. Um, but like in Jericho, I had to rewrite certain things because there's, you know, a couple of scenes where people kiss and that becomes awkward via Zoom. Um, and so like you have to sort of work around that. Um, but for my plays, yeah, it would be very useful. And I think for a lot of playwrights, um, um, it's definitely very useful. I mean, I'm of the belief that anytime you see your play mounted you're learning a lot.
0: Yeah. We, um we only produce like works that were already done because we didn't have relationships with playwrights to do new works. Mm-hmm. But one of them actually was like, would you do a new work of mine? So we were able to like do it and put it on. It was actually our last uh, play reading we did. And when I was talking to them, emailing back and forth, they were like, Oh, do you think that maybe I should write in that they come in masked because of the pandemic happening? I was like, Uh, I don't think that's really needed because for me, it's more of escapism Mm. and they asked for a copy of the recording so they can have it kind of as like their workshop is like, maybe I can send it to this person.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's just, um, it's so invaluable. It's so invaluable as a writer, you know, to hear it out loud and in both to find out what works and and what, Oh, uh, you know, for me in particular, when I hear stuff of mine out loud, and mm-hmm. I think it's true for a lot of playwrights, inevitably what I'll find is where I'm repeating myself, mm-hmm. But you'd think you could glean l- just from reading it. And you can do a degree, yeah. but the actors bring so much to the role. You realize inevitably with me, it's about taking away language because the actors are doing a lot of the heavy lifting for me. Yeah.
0: Do you, <coughs> excuse me, we're coming kind of like towards the end of okay. the recording, which is not a bad thing. Um, but kind of where do you see yourself like your career going at this point like you're still doing you know the i was about to say the new normal that's not right <laughs> the new normal rep
1: new I, normal rep we dropped the the just like facebook so oh yes
0: new normal rep i'm mm. <laughs> um, kind of like how backstreet boys is not the backstreet boys it's just backstreet boys yes yeah, yeah, right showing, know it. showing my age i'm um, mm-hmm. And You have all these other plays, but like, kind of where do you see yourself moving forward with all of this? Is there something I mean? I kind of guess this also goes into like your dream roles, dream experience stuff. Like, where do you kind of see yourself going moving forward? Or is there anything oh. you want to write? Or is there anything you might want to try? Maybe you want to dabble into acting again, maybe try directing something.
1: Yeah, oh no, I don't want to direct, I'd be a terrible director. Um, it's um. I'd be a terrible director, especially as a, uh, of my own stuff, because my impulse, which is awful, would just be to say, no, do it like this. (laughs) That's obviously bad directing. Um, so I'd be a terrible director. I I don't, you know, I really enjoyed acting, um, in the audio, step nine, but I, um, it was also a little intimidating because all these other actors were very, very good. And so, uh, but so they elevated me, um, what I'd really love to do is just focus on my writing and getting you know more work produced. It's very difficult to get your work produced um in the best of times. And so, um that's really my my focus is to try and just continue to write as well as I can write um and try and get better and get you know have there be some audiences uh, to see it. Um, like you know, like my fantasy role in life would be to be like, um, You know, and I'm not comparing myself to him, but to be like Tracy Letts, who's you know just this amazing playwright, but also he also acts when he wants to, and he makes a nice living doing that. That would be great. But really, it's it's about focusing on writing and getting better at it. um, uh, To to know that I've I've done all that I can uh, with my abilities. Um, You know, I would love one day to write a farce, but I I don't think I can do it. It's to me, I was thinking about this today. I, I think it requires a kind of mathematical brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, you know, like, and I've tried it in the past and, I, and I'm, uh, I'm like, oh, no, I can't do this. And so, but my, you know, like my sort of fantasy dream, if I, you know, like my fantasy camp uh, dream would be to be able to write a really good farce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, but that's such a different skill set, but I also love doing different things. So maybe one day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can I, so you're talking about getting a play produced. So for those listening, how does a playwright get a play produced? What are the steps going into that?
1: Uh, well, it's it depends. I mean, it helps you if you have an agent, and at the moment I am in between agents, so that makes things harder. However, having an agent is by no means a guarantee. God knows of getting uh, a play done, as I as I've experienced, and others have. And also, uh, I had a play called Fellow Travelers that was done. In out at Bay Street Theater a couple of years ago, uh, and it was optioned by the Schubert organization um, because um, a, a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine who's um, since passed, uh, named Leonard Soloway, who's a very well-respected producer in Broadway for decades, and he had a good relationship with the Schuberts, and he came to see a reading of the play, and he then invited the Schuberts, and then they said great, and so I kind of leapfrogged in a lot of ways in a very lucky way, Mm -hmm. Uh, but then, you know, the pandemic hit. And so now that's sort of on the back burner for now. Um, There are play, there are theaters that accept submissions, um, but that's, you know, and then you just try your best. I'm a big advocate also. And I think it's never been easier than it is today is to try and, you know, make your own work happen, you know, do like a black box version of it and invite people and invite people and invite people. Like this play now that I'm um, working on, um, you know, we're gonna do a reading in the spring and we are going to uh, just, you know, beg, borrow and steal to try and get people, uh, producers or people, you know, uh, theater, uh, ADs, et cetera, to come and see it. And if they like it to at least spread the word about it and try and get some attention. I, I think inevitably, you know, the cliche of it, it's who you know is true, but you can get to know people if you put yourself out there enough. And so um, that's what I would recommend is to sort of be pretty tireless about that and to expect, like any aspect of theater, to expect tons of rejection. And it's not even necessarily a reflection of your work. It's just the nature of the beast, but be undaunted and um, and and make your own opportunities. I really do think that's a huge part of it.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about theater going experiences. What are your tops that you've seen throughout your life?
1: Uh, well, uh, actually, well, once is actually, it's certainly the best musical I ever saw. And I, and I, and I loved that. I remember years ago I saw the uh, Broadway production of a view from the bridge with um, Anthony LaPaglia and Allison Janney and Brittany Murphy. And that, just stunned me the power of the play and also the the power of the of uh, the performances which were uniformly brilliant. That was a play that sort of left me breathless. Um, uh, Edward Albee's The Goat mm-hmm. um, was so audacious and so brilliant and so funny. And to me, that's the kind of play that I aspire to write in the sense that um, you know Albee always tackles incredibly. Uh, heavy dramatic often dark topics but they're very funny plays you know throughout and so that's one of my favorite types of plays um um i was a um I was very moved and I loved August Osage County when I was out. I mean, that was one of my favorite theatrical experiences. And that was fascinating to me watching the movie, which I, I don't think worked nearly as well. And they changed very little and it's because they changed very little. And there's a famous uh, uh, dinner scene, which on the stage is one of the best scenes I've ever seen. And it's, you're crying with laughter, but yet there's also very dramatic stuff happening. And in the film, it wasn't funny at all because they kept on doing like close-up shots and you can't yeah. do that in comedy. So-
0: yeah. I just um, remember, um, I saw that movie. I, it, I saw the show cause I knew mm-hmm. what happened. And I went with a guy friend of mine to see it in the movie theater. And Mm -hmm. I love audience reactions, but like I know something is going to happen, and like what people's reaction is going to be. But like the reaction at the end, when you find out that two characters are related, and everyone's reaction, oh, was so juicily brilliant. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a great play. I think it's one of the best plays um, of the the American plays of of this century. And um, there's also, and I'm blanking on the name. I can't. Believe it. I actually went to go see it three times. Uh Jess Butterworth's most recent play on Broadway.
0: Oh, the Ferryman. Uh,
1: thank you. Um, oh, one no. of the
0: most brilliant shows I've ever seen. I saw it twice.
1: Yeah. yeah
0: it's and just I, I the first time I saw it, I was like rear side orchestra. And then I got myself a better seat to see it the second time. And I was still like shocked by what happened at the end. And I've already seen the play.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean that's the kind of, and again, that's the sort of difference between British you know, theater in and in to a degree and, or, you know, uh, both, you know, the Ferryman and August Osage County, they have yeah. relatively large casts and you really can't do that for the most part in a non-state subsidized uh, or nonprofit theater. But yeah, uh, I, you know, I'm not exactly rich. So going to see a Broadway play three times, um, mm-hmm. it was just stunning. So, yeah, those are some of my favorites. I'm sure there are others I'm not remembering, but yeah, those are pretty great.
0: I told somebody a while ago i'm like i really like i really need to see like a really good play like a ferryman or like one of those yeah. and i just i'm waiting for it to come to broadway i'm i hope this comes to broadway but um sam mendes Mendez, mm-hmm. who like he's doing in london they're doing a production of a play written by someone who something thorn jack Thorne, okay. um or it's about richard burton's hamlet and oh, wow. Love
1: that. Yeah. I
0: want to say they're doing at the National Theater, but like a part of me feels like that's going to come to Broadway.
1: Yeah. That would be great. I would like to see that. That would be lovely. And I'm desperate right now to see the, um, the new production of Death of a Salesman with, with the largely African-American cast, which is just, um I just, you know, I'm so curious. I, I think, it, and I've heard Mick, yeah, I've actually heard good things. Um, but I think it's I think it's a fascinating uh and what I understand, it it's you know, it adds all these dimensions to it. So and I'm a huge fan of Miller, so I'm just always interested for a Miller play. I think that production closed.
0: Yesterday. No. I know. I missed it too. I missed it too. But I have like no money to see anything. But um yeah, well,
1: me neither, but you know
0: I have my tickets for the spring t- well, no, what am I seeing? Parade, I'm seeing parade at some point, and I have my ticket to see Sweeney Todd and Camelot. So like oh, some shows my- for the spring ready.
1: Your calendar's pretty set. Um, before it closes, I'd love to go see Take Me Out again. I saw that on Broadway. And really oh my
0: god! I so I saw that twice. So I saw it when it was first on my Broadway, <laughs> not not the original cast, um, but I, the revival. I saw it when it was at Second Stage, and then I saw it again um, a few months ago, and it was just it got better. It was so good.
1: I'm a huge fan, speaking of Long Islanders, Richard Greenberg, huge fan of his writing. Uh, He's one of my favorite playwrights just because his dialogue is, I'm just, I'm a sucker for good dialogue and he writes it so beautifully. And it's such an interesting play and so satisfying. And, um, you know, Gino Gianfrido is another one of my favorite playwrights too. Mm -hmm. Um, Becky Shaw and um, uh, Blister, uh, uh, Rapture. I can't remember any names today, but, you know, those sort of plays are the plays that I really love.
0: Yeah, I, I saw, it's funny because um, I, when I was in college, I directed a production of How I Learned to Drive and it Ooh. came back to Broadway and I saw it like five times. Um, but Take Me Out won Revival and my friend's like, I can't believe How I Learned to Drive didn't win. It's such a better play. I'm like, I understand it. Like I can kind of figure out why that play won the Tony over How I Learned to Drive, unfortunately.
1: Well, it's apples and oranges too, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think they both, set out to do incredibly different things and they both you know do them brilliantly and certainly you know one has a lot more laughs (laughs) and a lot less incest if I remember the plays correctly so yeah 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 Yeah.
0: but what was cool about how I learned to drive was um it was the same director as it was off
1: Broadway mostly mostly? um wasn't it a lot of the same cast too
0: yeah it was three of the original cast members it was Mary Louise Parker David Morris and Joanna Day
1: Mm, well yeah it must have been great
0: yeah they also revived it like i think a little over 10 years ago at second stage with uh elizabeth riser right oh i
1: remember that and i remember
0: Robert leo butts and he was mm. fantastic as as Peck. he's yeah. amazing yeah all right time for inside the Actors studio questions are you ready
1: well no but let's do it
0: Or great what's your favorite word
1: uh dirigible
0: it's fun saying you're a dirigible yeah I feel like you need good diction for that what is your least favorite word
1: um asshole I just can't stand the word I don't know why I don't I mean and I'm not above saying mean things about people or even swearing it's just I don't know the, the, something about it just doesn't land with me
0: so I'm assuming that we will not find that word in any of your plays
1: no we actually do find it uh, once or twice because in you know step nine, just, the
0: you, audio play now playing on new normal Rep.
1: we and, don't uh, see it on that but we will but you would see it on in jericho which you know i've told you how to access so yeah. if that's a selling point for you
0: yeah hear the um, word asshole in jericho everyone new normal dot com dot org dot org new normal rep dot org slash bonus code nnr22 see i wrote it down
1: 2022 yep
0: 20, oh, so twenty twenty two, not twenty two.
1: No, as as in the year.
0: Yeah, twenty twenty two. Perfect. Okay, I changed it. We're great. What turns you on?
1: Um, great conversation with friends.
0: What turns you off?
1: Um, what turns me off? Oh gosh, it's such a such a uh, embarrassment of, of riches to pick from. Um, I would say. Um, I, I I would say unnecessary snarkiness, which is ironic because I'm I've done a lot of that in my time. But as I've gotten older, um, you know, I, I I try and cut down on that. Sometimes snarkiness is necessary, and then I love it. But just you know, just defaulting to uh, not trying to be um, uh, no, listening openly to someone else. So there you go. What
0: sounder? Oh wait, no, I. Take that back. What is your favorite curse word?
1: Uh, it's hard to beat fuck, isn't it? I mean, because it's got that satisfying sound at the end uh, and it can be used, you know, in a million different contexts, which is sort of its genius. You will hear a lot of fucks in both plays. Perfect.
0: Matt Damon said something similar. He's like, you can use fuck in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, What sound or noise do you love? cello what sound or noise do you hate
1: Uh am radio
0: what profession other than yours would you like to attempt
1: realistically uh uh realistically uh i think uh, maybe a novelist unrealistically center field for the yankees but the odds are very slim
0: Listen, you never know. You can write a play about it. Um, what profession? No, I, uh, what profession would you not like to do?
1: Um, anything that sort of has me chained to a desk. I mean, I would say a, a, accounting, and that could be largely because I have no talent for it. But I think something like that, where I'm processing data constantly, that would be awful for me. If,
0: oh, if heaven exists, and this is the final question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: Hmm. um i know i didn't think you were going to make it either but here we are
0: as james lipman would say here are your students <laughs> um, if i remember to i always like to end the podcast with one final question uh mm. if i remember it and it is why is theater important or why do you think theater is important
1: well because i think um and nothing original is going to come from my answer, but I still believe it very deeply is that, like I said earlier, uh, art isn't a luxury and more importantly, narrative is, you know, that's how we know we're human. And that's how we best communicate with each each other is with stories. It's why we dream, right? Everything is a, you know, you know, our basic understanding of ourselves hardwired is via stories. And when you're in a room full of people, um, strangers with, live human beings on the stage doing this, there is um, a dialogue and a synergy and uh, an experience that, um, man, I don't know how real life can even compete.
0: Very nice. Now, as we're coming to a close, do you have anything else you want to say, add anything you want to ask me? You don't have to just throwing it out there. Any final thoughts other than everybody listen to, The audio play, Step 9, available on all podcast platforms. Also, if you do want to see Jericho, remember newnormalrep.org slash bonus password NNR2022.
1: Yes. Um, uh, Yeah, well, that's perfect. Uh, Just one last thing I would like to ask you. By the way, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you Um, for coming on. Yeah, you know, you're a theater enthusiast. I think that's safe to say. Um, Why? What's what if you can narrow boil it down to one thing? What's the key element for you?
0: I, you know, it's always funny because when people are like, oh, describe this, describe that, like what are your, I can't, I can never figure out what it is particularly. I'm guessing maybe because we were talking about it, it's just like a feeling you get when you're watching live theater. Um, and I think for the 30 years I've been seeing theater, I just aged myself. I'm, by the way,
1: you're self-conscious about aging yourself. It's still considerably younger than I am. So (laughs) that's okay.
0: My birthday's also this week. Hey, um, (laughs) thank you. I'll take all of, I'm a very big person about my birthday. I will take all of the happy birthdays. Um, I also feel like with age and seeing so many things that I've just become so jaded. So it's like kind of like a big deal for me if like a show or a performance or something means a lot.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is something you have to really combat as you get older, right? I mean, um, I think that's the biggest uh, thing you need to combat. Well, I mean, you know, uh, high cholesterol, but also, but I mean, really, ultimately, the most important thing to combat is is jadedness, you know, mm-hmm. you want to become, I find I'm less jaded now than I was. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, I, I prize basic, just decency and kindness, I think more than I used to. And I think, um and it's important to, you know, to not be uh, as jaded and, it, and it's a constant effort, but you know, like um you want the ideal to be like what the Bob Dylan line is. I was so much older than I'm younger than that now.
0: Yeah. And I think for me too, is that because you know, I'm trying not to spend money when I don't have to, because I think that just comes with age where you don't want to be frivolous with your money. So, like, I need to want to see a show to, like, go and see it. So, like, the last thing I saw was Kimberly Akimbo, and it was just so wonderful. And it's just, like, yeah. such a positive message. And, like, I if Victoria Clark doesn't win a Tony for that show, I don't I don't know what's up. but yeah.
1: yeah Yeah. no, that's great i mean yeah it does one thing uh, one slight compensation for aging is it does tend to sort of make your uh, figuring out what your priorities are a little bit easier
0: Mm -hmm. we can have a whole podcast about that too ones priorities aging yeah all of those things well on that note jack thank you so much for coming on you can stay on after i stop recording um everyone thank you for listening again Jack, tell them where they can hear and see all the things.
1: Uh, well, yeah. Please visit our website at www.newnormalrep.org, and if you want to see Jericho, and my goodness, why wouldn't you? Uh, you would go to newnormalrep.org/slash/bonus. Uh, it'll take you to a, a page, and it'll ask a password, and the password is all caps NNR twenty twenty two. And also, uh, I just want to slip this in before we forget: uh, we have an audio playout called Step Nine. Um, it's gotten very nice reviews so far, which is always very gratifying and it's available uh, on all podcast platforms. So just search new normal rep, um, and step nine, and it'll take you right to it. And also please check out our YouTube channel, which has all sorts of hijinks and tomfoolery. Thank Thank you so much for having me in.
0: Of course. Thank you for coming on and thank you everyone for listening.